Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Well, good morning. We are so glad that everyone is here for Labor Day weekend. Wow. I can't believe the summer is coming to an end already. It seems like 4th of July was last week. We are so glad that you're here this morning. And whether you're here in the house or whether you're, you're watching the live stream, the recorded version, uh, we're just glad that you've joined us this morning. This past week, I was with uh, Fritz, and he was uh, talking to some other ministry leaders, and he said this, you know, sometimes ministry feels like holding a bag with wind inside. We never really know what the Holy Spirit is going to do in the hearts and the lives of people when they hear the Word of God. And that's an amazing thing that God has communicated to us in His Word. Uh, my name is Larry Sewell. I get to work with Fritz and Don and Ben and Marty, and we're so glad uh, for the people and the way God is working in the lives of all of us together as we dive into His Word. Um, this morning, we're going to dive into this uh, Hope United series. We're going to be in the second half of the third chapter of 1 Peter. But before we do that, I want to share a story, a part of a story of a person that I've been reading. Now, I like personal stories because they're a matter of human interest. They're a matter of human struggle. We sometimes see ourselves in those pictures. I'm just reading a second book by, or just finished a second book by Rosaria Butterfield. Now, this is a woman uh, who is a pastor's wife. She's been a pastor's wife for 20 years. Uh, She has given her life to homeschooling kids and uh, writing and speaking. She's a remarkable Christian lady. She uses her gifts of hospitality, her gifts of teaching uh, to lead other people to faith in the church that uh, she helps lead with her husband. Uh, in the second book that I read, it's called uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And she talks about remarkable, radical, uh, ordinary hospitality and how hospitality and human relationship is the key to sharing the gospel with people who are far away from God. Um, the interesting thing about this woman is her starting point. Uh, one of her other books talks about uh, who she was before she met Christ. She was a a radical leading voice in the gay and lesbian community. In fact, the way she came to faith, she had written an article blasting the promise keepers in what she called, quote, their little circus in her town. And a pastor, an elderly man, wrote a letter to her inquiring about uh, the things that she thought about life. And that led to conversations and eventually to her coming to faith. I would put her her book, uh, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, on the top of a reading list. Probably a top 10 impactful book that I've ever read in my entire life. Just a remarkable story of God's grace that all started uh, with a kindness by the part of a, a couple, uh, Ken and Flo Smith. You know, the, the kindness of God is what draws people to salvation, the kindness of God. We see that in 1 Peter in two places, in chapter 2 and chapter 5. We also see that in Romans chapter 2. It is the kindness of God that draws people to faith. 
Hers is a story of restoration. It's a story of dramatic life change where the Holy Spirit is, is remarkably changing her life as she has kind of dove in to the Scriptures at first. Peter speaks clearly to every Christian in the room. And this is what he says, if you're a Christian, you are a temporary resident on this earth. You're a temporary resident passing through a temporary place en route to some place that is eternal. And because we carry the gospel, Christians have the Spirit of God in them, we are the ones who get to share that gospel with people who are in desperate need of hope. Peter says this in chapter 2, we are God's very own possession. And because of that, people like you and people like me, we can show others the goodness of God. That's something that he allows us to do in his grace. I'd like to pray together, and then we'll uh, jump in. God, I am thankful that you love us that it is your remarkable goodness, your remarkable kindness that draws us to genuine faith. I'm thankful uh, for the story of Rosaria, how uh, you got a hold of her heart, that your Holy Spirit took your word and changed the direction, the course of her life in such a remarkable way. It's a story of grace. It's a story of what you're willing and able to do in the heart of each person. And I'm thankful for how encouraging that story is. So I pray for each person in this room. I pray that your spirit, uh, your spirit is welcome here. I pray your spirit would open our hearts, open our minds, and let us hear your word as you speak this morning. I pray all this through Jesus. Amen. Now the plan today is pretty simple. We're going to read the passage from uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. And then I'd like to talk about four phrases that are in that passage. And then at the very end, I want to just double back and make a few comments about verses 19 through 21. These are some really difficult passages to understand, those last couple verses, and make a couple comments about how we might think about passages like that. So let's read 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. Now who will want to harm you if you're eager, eager, that's an easy word to say, to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right... God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. But instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and in a respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, They will be ashamed when they see the good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it's better to suffer for doing good if that's what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death but he was raised to life in the spirit. And so he went and preached to the spirits in prison, those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. 
Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. That water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removal of dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor at, uh, next to God, and all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. So let's talk about the first phrase. The first phrase is from verse 18. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. Sometimes when we do baptisms right here in the big metal tank, we say the whole thing. We say, um, we now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Buried with him, raised with him to walk in newness of life. Sometimes we say the whole thing. Sometimes people make baptism into just a ritual, just something we do. But in the book of Acts, we see believers baptism, people who claim Christ as their Savior, and this baptism is an outward expression of something that's happened in the heart of the person. Baptism doesn't save us. Baptism, though, does go hand in hand with supernatural rebirth. You see the two together through the book of Acts. This is the first step in the pathway that says, I believe that Jesus is the risen Son of God. And symbolically, I am burying myself. I'm burying my sin with him in his death, and I am raised to walk in newness of life in the Holy Spirit. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead that enables us to walk with Jesus today. Baptism says, I am saying yes to Jesus, and I want everyone to know. Consider Romans 6, chapter uh, chapter 6, verse 4. For we died, and we were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we too may walk new lives. The Bible is clear that every genuine believer has the Holy Spirit within them. They are, they are moving from spiritual darkness into spiritual life. They have new life within them. This isn't signing up for a new religious tradition. This is something different than that. This is supernatural new life as we walk with God. It's the Holy Spirit leading us in a personal way. I don't think Peter ever recovered from the time he spent with Jesus. You know, he witnessed the righteousness of Jesus. He, he witnessed Jesus' compassion for people. Uh, he saw the religious pretenders, the people who actually uh, plotted to have him crucified by the Romans. He saw all of that. He recognized the sufferings of Jesus, both during his life as well as, as on the cross. He saw, he saw all of that. But he also knew this that the suffering of Jesus actually provides the doorway, not only to the freedom from the penalty of sin, but also from the power 
of our sin, of sin in our lives every day. We get not only right standing with God, but we also get the power to walk away from sin and to know God in a remarkable way. But I also think about other parts of Peter's story, like the end of his life when he went back to fishing after Jesus had risen from the dead. Remember, we talked to the other guy and said, hey, let's go fishing. He, he was slipping back into his old life. And the story at the end of the Gospel of John talks about the quietest breakfast that ever occurred. The guys are in the boat trying to catch fish. Jesus is on the shore. And he cry, cries out to them. He says, hey, hey, gentlemen, have, have you caught any fish yet? And they're like, no, no fish. And he says, well, well take the net, throw it on the other side of the boat, which would be the wrong side of the boat, right? And 153 fish later, okay, Peter jumps in the water and swims ashore, and he meets his friend Jesus there. Jesus has a charcoal fire going, and he's got their, you know, the fish is cooking and the bread is there to eat. No one said much that morning. They all knew who he was, and they knew that they had kind of slipped back into the fishing life, right? I think Peter probably remembered back to the first time Jesus had called him on that shore, right? You're going to become fishers of men, he told him then, right? And here he, he repeats the words that he had spoken long, long ago, three years ago, right there in that same place. Follow me. He restored Peter that day from trying to go back to his old life. He restored him back to fellowship. I tell you what, there is hope for all of us in the story of Peter's life. There's hope. There is no doubt in my mind that Peter clearly and completely understood who Jesus was. He saw the resurrection. He saw it all. He knew it was true. He was an eyewitness of the truth of Jesus. He had experienced the Holy Spirit invading his life at Pentecost when he preached and thousands of people came to faith. They said yes to Jesus. They said yes to baptism. They said yes to following. Jesus was raised in the power of the Holy Spirit the same Holy Spirit that was in Peter and the same Holy Spirit that resides in Christians today. We all start at the same place. We start as spiritual infants, right? And uh, the real Jesus in the Bible starts to change our lives at that point. This isn't the, the tame, man-made Jesus that like, people like to substitute, but the real Jesus who's explained in the pages of the Bible. And this lifelong process for a Christian continues from that point, and we, we grow into our true identity in Jesus as followers of him. Salvation in Jesus is always marked by the Holy Spirit working within us, always. And that leads me to the second phrase from this passage. The second phrase comes from verse 15, the first part. And this is what it says, just a short little phrase. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. Worship Christ as Lord of your life. Do you know how to figure out what it is you worship in your life? It's an easy way to figure that out, whether you're worshiping Christ or whether you're worshiping a sneaky substitute that's kind of sneaked in its way in there. The first clue is this. 
Um, you love the things that have captured your imagination. Those things uh, that have grabbed your imagination are probably the things you are worshiping, the things that capture your mental energy, but also things that capture your time and things that capture the way you spend your money. If you think of those three things, uh, your, your mental energy, maybe your dreams, you could say, and your time and your money, you probably are diving into the things that uh, you're worshiping in life. I've done an inventory of these three three things over time, lots of different uh, times. And it always shows me at the heart level what it is I'm worshiping. You know, what is it that I'm thinking about? What thoughts have captured my imagination? Uh, What things do I dream about? What things do I really, what I really, really like to see myself accomplishing and what 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 I really want to do with my life? Those kinds of dreams indicate where our hearts are, right? The other things, where do I spend my time? It's actually helpful sometimes to make a list where you actually write down where you spend your time by increment, you know, and you look back and say, where, where did I spend my day today? That's probably an indication of where your heart is. And the last is where you spend your money. When God is at the center of our dreams and our time and our money, we have probably crossed over to worshiping Christ as Lord of our life. That's probably what's happened. We've probably pushed the idols that we so easily can follow. We've probably pushed those aside, okay? And Christ has moved to the center point in our life. You know, in the reality that this world is temporary and that eternity is real and that Jesus is God in the flesh, when those things Um, come into our mind, not in an academic way, but in a real way, a personal way, we're probably well on our way to worshiping Christ as Lord of our life. I have to be transparent with you today. I never understood in a practical way the uh, connection between kind of swan diving into Scripture and experiencing the Holy Spirit in my life until way later in life. I wish I had done that way earlier, but I didn't, you know? It was later in life that I figured out the connection between uh, Scripture and the Holy Spirit taking up uh, practical residence in my daily life. There's no shortcut. You know, diving into Scripture has led me to actual prayer with God. Not just words, but actual prayer with God. It's actually led me to worship, actually diving into Scripture. The starting point, the starting point is worshiping Christ as Lord of your life. That's the starting point. All the gifts that he has given us, how we spend our time, where we spend all of our efforts, the things we think about will all flow from this this deep need to know God in reality and to walk with him. A couple weeks ago, Levi taught about awe of God. And my mind went back to our series in Isaiah when we were talking about uh, Isaiah catching a glimpse of God and what happened to him. He saw a glimpse of God, and he not only saw God in different light, he saw himself in a different light. He couldn't look at that glimpse of God and remain the same. The same thing is true of us when we catch a glimpse of God in Scripture. It leads us to involuntary worship. It leads us to heart change. Something happens when we experience the real God that's 
described and shown and revealed to us in the pages of the Scripture. I would say this, the Bible is a very dangerous book if you want to continue living a self-directed life. A very dangerous book. That new life in Christ, Peter would say, begins when we believe. You know, when we believe, Peter isn't selling fire insurance. What he's selling is eternal life that starts the very day we believe. Now, Peter knew that it was really easy to slip back into old ways of thinking, maybe the ways of thinking be when you were walking in spiritual darkness before you really knew God. He knew that was easy. He went back to fishing after seeing the risen Christ, and yet he experienced true worship of Christ as God restored him and brought him back into fellowship. There's great hope in the life of Peter. Worshiping Christ as Lord of our life leads to a natural outflow, according to Peter. And that leads us to our third point. It's this, verses 15, the last half, and then the first part of 16. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and a respectful way. Now, the book of 1 Peter makes regular inferences to the power of a changed life as the doorway to evangelism. The power of a changed life is the thing that leads us. When we think about worshiping Christ as Lord of our life, um, that is such a culturally adverse way to live in our world. It's going to cause people to ask questions. They're going to ask questions like this. um, (laughs) Why are you at peace? when things aren't going well at work? Why don't you have the anxiety that I have? How's come it is that you actually love your wife? How's come you're not afraid of your future? How's come uh, your life seems so secure? You know, those kinds of questions give us the, the ability to answer to those who are seeking hope. I remember a popular thought about evangelism that I heard about 20 years ago. And it went like this. Share the gospel every day, and if necessary, use words. You know what? That's a catchy phrase, but that is not what Peter's talking about. What Peter's talking about is worshiping Christ as Lord of your life, and that spiritual transformation that creates questions in the minds of people watching from the outside, people who are lost and far away from God— it's going, to, it's going to cause them to ask, ask questions because hope shows. And when that happens, Peter's saying, be ready. Be ready to talk about your hope that you have in Christ. Genuine hope shows. A good life is not a good, enough. Instead, a good, a, a, a good life actually is, the, is potentially is the, is the opportunity for us to share our hope in words with people who need hope. He's telling Christians to have our story ready. You know, what was it like before I came to faith? What happened when Jesus uh, invaded my life and I I believed? And what has my life been like now that the Holy Spirit is living within me? This is the heart of God, to worship Christ as Lord of our lives. And Peter is is, uh, saying to us that if we worship Christ as the Lord of our life, That hope will show, and people will ask questions, and that will give us the opportunity 
to talk about our hope, not in an angry way, not in a preaching way, but in a gentle and a respectful way that can be heard. The greatest need anybody has is genuine belief in Jesus. And Peter is giving us a pathway forward to share our faith. Now, the fourth point I'd make is just a little didactic statement that ends in a period, verse 16b, right in the center there. Peter says this, keep your conscience clear. Keep your conscience clear. And I asked myself, well, (laughs) how do you do that? How do you keep your conscience clear? How do you walk away from guilt? How do you live in that kind of freedom? Well, perhaps we can find freedom when we we decide that we're going to not any longer pretend to walk in freedom from the draw of sin. Maybe it's as simple as uh, Rosario would say, taking a, a fresh bag of nails and a framer's hammer with you everywhere you go. And when you read the Bible and the Holy Spirit uh, shows you sin in your life, that you uh, take out a nail, you drive it through that sin into the cross. What she's talking about is this, we confess and repent. Now confession is, is simply agreeing with what God has said. God tells us what's sinful and what's not in the pages of the Bible. Confession is just agreeing with God. It's saying, yes, God, you're right. That was sinful. Repentance is an action. It's an action of turning away. I'm no longer going to do what I was doing before. I'm going to confess it, call it what it was. I'm going to call it sin, and I'm going to turn and go the other way. And perhaps you might add that uh, with God's prayer and the leading of the Holy Spirit, you're going you're gonna to pray for yourself. You're going to pray for anybody else that was affected by that sin. You're going to nail that thing to the cross, and you're going to move on. This isn't a sermon on Romans 6 or Romans 8. But, you know, those two chapters in Romans 6 and 8 give us re- remarkably clear insight into how a person can know God in a remarkable way and uh, experience the power of God's Spirit as we live. I remember speaking to an 80-year-old man not too long ago about this deeply embedded sin habit that he had. He was talking very free, freely about it. He was very comfortable with his thoughts. He no longer was really trying to resist. He was just all in, assuming that that's just the way that he was, living in a way that was very contrary to God in terms of his thought life. I remember trying to suggest kind of gently saying, hey, you know, Um, perhaps you should call what you're thinking about sin and actually uh, confess that to God and maybe maybe turn from that. What about that? Um, He was a slave to his thoughts at 80 years old. Instead of going down that road, what if you confess that sin as sin and you nailed that sin to the cross? and turned away from that thinking process that you'd always been going down. And what if, instead of uh, what you're doing, what what if you prayed for the people that were involved in your thought life? What if you did that? You know, (laughs) yeah, he told me, he said, yeah, I'd have to pray a lot. I remember that. Freedom from sin requires ruthless attention. Yet, the result 
is freedom. Freedom from sin. What do you think it would be like to be free from sin in your life? Instead of forgetting about it or, or calling it something else, like, oh, that was an un, you know, not an ideal way to act or to think, or, or maybe I'll do better next. What if, what if we could find freedom from sin in our lives? I'm talking about things like this. What if you could be free from angry thoughts? What if you could be free from uh, things like lust or fear or pride? What if you could be uh, free from manipulating other people or um, insecurity? What if you could be free from all that stuff? What if you could lean into Christ and find freedom? Just think what your life might be like if uh, alcohol or porn, or whatever other thing that you put on your list is, what if you could be free to walk with Christ and leave those things buried in that tank, raised to walk in newness of life? That's what Peter's talking about. Worshiping Christ as Lord of your life, leaving that stuff behind, okay? And being in a position where you can actually lead other people into the hope that you have in Christ. What kind of joy do you think that would bring to your life? To actually be able to leave, free, uh, leave sin behind. Freedom is not just freedom from the penalty of sin. Freedom is also freedom from the power of sin in daily life. That's what Peter's talking about here. It won't happen in a day, but it'll happen. The desire for the old things will start to fade as Christ becomes predominant in your thinking. We start to love the things that Jesus loves. We start to hate the things that Jesus hates. And the Holy Spirit is transforming our hearts and transforming our lives and giving us a joy that we didn't have before. I'd like to transition now to talk about verses 19 through 21. Maybe they can throw those up on the screen. I'm not going to read those again. I read those earlier. Theologians have looked at these verses over time, and uh, they have very different viewpoints, and sometimes they change their mind. This is one of those passages that is very, very hard to understand exactly what Peter is getting at. There are a lot of passages like this in the Scripture, but there are some that are really hard to understand And I want to just say this about passages that are hard to understand. Don't let the things that are hard to understand or you can't understand in Scripture keep you from following the things that you can understand. I don't think there's anything in the four phrases that we've talked about that is hard to understand. We can understand what God is saying, and we can do precisely what he's talking about, and we can engage the Spirit of God in our lives. We can do that. And this little passage here of a couple of verses that are hard to understand uh, don't say anything that keeps us from following the four points we've talked about already. With that in mind, I would give you this as a possible way to think about these verses. Perhaps Peter is thinking out loud. The Spirit of God is leading him, and he's maybe it's kind of like a just a kind of thinking out loud about what's going on in his mind. Um, You know, our salvation came to us, you might think, through the threshold of the suffering of Jesus. That's how it came to us. And and even in the Old Testament, people in Noah's day, well, 
Uh, they knew something about God because of prophecies that came and, and through direct revelation by God. And it was through the suffering of Genesis chapter 8, uh, the flood, right? Eight people experienced salvation. Okay, that's true. Through suffering, salvation came. And it's through baptism that we uh, kind of enter into the sufferings of Jesus. And, and that's the pathway for us to be saved. And everything that he's talking about here is actually interpreted more clearly by understanding it in light of the resurrection of Jesus, that which is true. That's the final nail in the coffin of sin and death. Jesus rose from the dead. You might fill in thoughts a little bit differently when you look at a passage like this, but I would suggest that you focus in on the essential truth at the end, and that is that Jesus rose from the dead. And just because we can't understand everything that's said in that little passage, we can understand the four points that are said earlier and maybe dial into the things that we can know are true, which is the majority of the Scripture. This morning I started by talking about the story of Rosaria Butterfield. And I asked myself over and over as I was reading her book, uh, how does a radical spokesman for the gay and lesbian community, how does a person like that, a, a PhD from Ohio State professor of queer theory at a major university, how does she turn from that kind of past to walking with Christ in such a remarkable way? How did, how did she become such a clear-minded Christian who can, who can and explain so thoroughly and so clearly what Christ has done in her life? Well, as you go back through her story, you find out that it started as a research project to discredit the Bible. And she started reading the Bible. In fact, she read the Bible from cover to cover seven times before she came to faith. And as she's reading the Bible from cover to cover, partway through it became less of a research project. And she began asking this question, what if it's true? What if it's true? What if Jesus is who he's explained to be in the pages of the scripture? We begin our teaching here at Lighthouse with assumptions. We begin with the assumption that God exists, that Jesus is the son of God, that he rose from the dead uh, in our place as a sacrifice for our sins. We, we believe that if we accept Jesus and what he has done and, and we, we confess our sins, that he comes into our life and saves us. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to change our lives. We believe all of that. We believe that the word of God is eternal, that it's true, that we can trust it, that it will change our life. We believe all of that as we come here this morning. This is where Rosaria started. She started in spiritual darkness without a thought of God. She began confused about the Bible and afraid of Christians. That was her starting point, afraid of faith. And then she met these people, Ken and Flo Smith, people who knew God. They walked with him and they took the time to listen to what she had to say. They talked to her and they heard her, they saw her. And over time, they answered her questions and they showed her hospitality at their dinner table. What they did is they peeled back the curtain that allowed Rosaria to see Jesus. That's what they did. 
He was impacting their lives. They were worshiping Christ as Lord of their life. And when she was asking questions, they were there in a gentle and respectful way to tell her about things that are true. I gotta be transparent. When I when I read this story of what God did in this woman's life through these people, um, it is a it is a story of a radically changed life of a person angry and far away from God who found hope in Jesus. And that whole thing started when Ken and Flo Smith showed hospitality. When they showed they saw her and they showed care for a person who was very, very far away from God. Their story illustrates exactly what Peter is saying in this passage. Worship Christ as Lord of your life. Walk with him. And then when people ask you about your hope, the hope you have in Jesus, be ready to explain it and do that in gentleness and do that with respect. Myself included, we all carry the light of God in us. And it is the goodness of God that has called us out of darkness into his light. And we are the ones who have the opportunity to share that with people who are far away from God. I hope you'll fill in your blue card this week. And there's a box you can check on that card. And if you check that box, we'll send you a link to Rosario's story and how she came to faith. It's about 45 minutes. It's a, it's a podcast. You can listen to it while you're walking around the block. I've listened to it a couple of times. It is a remarkably encouraging story about what God has done in her life, moving her from spiritual darkness to spiritual light. And I hope you'll check that box. The other thing I hope you'll do this week, um, we are inviting you to check the box indicating a person, a first name only, but a person that you're praying for, a person who's living in spiritual darkness, who needs God in their life. If you don't have a name of a person, you could actually write CR99 on that line, County Road 99. I think about the new building and uh, the place that we're putting that and all the new homes that are being constructed all around that building site. Hundreds and hundreds of new homes, people who are far away from God and need hope. And my mind goes to this. I wonder the name of the person, the first person who's going to say yes to Jesus in that building. I don't know who the name is, but it's going to be somebody that's going to say yes to Jesus in that building. I think of Bluffton community, you know, we're closely uh, working with Bluffton every week. And I think about that within two miles of the center, how many thousands of people live right there who are far from Jesus. May we awake one day with Jesus in heaven, surrounded by people who found hope because we worshiped Christ as Lord of our lives and we were willing to talk about what God has done for us. When they asked questions, we were prepared. I'd ask you this question as you consider Peter and his message to the book of 1 Peter today. What is God saying to you today? What is God saying to you today through the pages of Scripture? We're going to finish today as we normally do. There'll be prayer partners in the front of the building and in the back. And uh, these people are here to pray with you about anything that's on your mind. Uh, We love to pray with other people, 
in a confidential way. This is an opportunity for you to pray and to talk with God. The band is going to play just one more song, and this is your opportunity to pray. But first, I want to pray for you. God, I come to you recognizing that uh, you're the one who found me when I was far away. That because of your gentleness and because of your goodness, you found me and you drew me to hope. I thank you for the truth of Scripture that, that shows us all your character and your love. I pray for each person here that the power of your Holy Spirit, the living, active Word of God, would, would find its way in to change us. We love you, Lord. We're grateful for your grace in our lives. I pray through Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.